Our scripture reading this morning is again from Romans 8, 28 through 30. Would you read along with me these precious words? And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. In order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called... He also justified, and those whom he justified, he also glorified. Amen. like us to take just a moment to pray for two brothers in our church. One is Tim Hoke. He's preaching in Louisville at the Reformed Baptist Church. They're both morning and evening. And Michael Imadi is in Bremen preaching and presenting the work of Ireland. So if we could just quickly pray for them. Father in heaven, bless your word wherever it's preached today in faithfulness. But just now we uphold two of our dear men and pray that the anointing of the Holy Spirit will rest heavily upon both of them as they seek to be faithful to your word. Bless their preaching and bear much fruit from it. And be with us during this time together, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. It was good to uh, hear Brother Jim reading the word of God today. That was a blessing. In, nine, in 1739, actually, there was a Moravian reformer by the name of Zinzendorf. Interesting last name. If you want his whole name, it's Count Nicholas Ludwig von Zinzendorf. He was a dear man of God and a faithful preacher, and he wrote a hymn that we sometimes sing. Jesus, your blood and righteousness, our beauty are, our glorious dress. Midst flaming worlds, in these arrayed with joy, shall we lift up our heads. Bold shall we stand in your great day, for who to our charge can anything lay? Fully absolved through these, these would be the blood and righteousness of Christ. Fully absolved through these we are from sin and fear and guilt and shame. When from the dust of death we rise to claim our mansion in the skies, even then this shall be all our plea. Jesus has lived and died for me. Jesus, be endless praise to you whose boundless mercy has for us, for us, a full atonement made and everlasting ransom paid. Oh, let the dead now hear your voice. Now bid your banished ones rejoice. Their beauty this, 
their glorious dress, Jesus, your blood and righteousness. Zinzendorf well understood the meaning of the word we focus upon this morning, justified. And it will be my privilege to be sure that we well understand that word. As you sit before me this morning or whatever time it may be for you who are watching via live stream or listening via recording, the question is this, are you justified? Have you been once and for all justified? If you are not presently justified, you're not saved. And you're not safe either. You are not saved if you're not justified, and you're not safe if you're not justified. If you happen to be killed in an accident on the way home, you will not go to heaven if you are not justified. You will, in fact, perish eternally and be forever banished from the presence of God in hell. Everyone listening to my voice at this moment is either justified or not justified. There's no in-between. And let me add this. A right understanding of this great and precious work of God is not only essential for your salvation, it's essential to the life of every church. In some respects, this doctrine or teaching, that's all that doctrine means, about justification was the most critical rediscovery and clarification of the Protestant Reformation. We won't launch into uh, comments on church history, but there was that amazing period of time during the 16th century when the truths of the gospel were rediscovered and God raised up great men such as Martin Luther to enunciate those truths and to preach them. And he said himself that the article of a standing or falling church is a right understanding of justification. And this morning, I'm going to call it the article of a standing or falling human being. This isn't just about whether or not the church will remain true to the gospel. This is about whether or not you and I understand the heart of the gospel, especially with regard to justification. Now, let me put our word justification this morning in the context of our little series, which we're calling Saved. We have said repeatedly that the five saving works of God spoken of in verses 29 and 30, just read for us by Brother Jim, are five links of a chain. Together, they form a golden chain. Golden, we call it, because they are immeasurably precious. Gold is a precious metal. And these doctrines are precious beyond description. We call it a chain because they are linked together. It is an unbreakable chain. And it's unbreakable because God made it. Notice, His gracious redemptive works are for people... He keeps saying those whom, those whom, those whom, those whom, four times. And 
He, God himself, is the author, the cause of these things coming to pass for the people. Repeatedly, our text says, he, he foreknew. And those whom he foreknew, he predestined. And those whom he predestined, he called. And those whom he called, he justified. And those whom he justified, he glorified. This is the work of God, and it is precious. Again, please notice, there is no breakdown in this chain. Those whom he foreknew, he predestined. They're the same ones. Don't miss that. Those whom he predestines, he calls. Those whom he calls, he justifies. Those whom he justifies, he glorifies. This is a salvation which stretches from eternity to eternity. Eternity past to eternity future. It starts with the foreknowledge of God and it concludes with our glorification upon which we enter the eternal state. And I want to say to you this morning, dear brother or sister, if you have been called and justified, you most certainly will be glorified. There's no breakdown in this chain. It's so certain that you'll be glorified that Paul put it in the past tense. Those whom he has justified will be glorified. It's a done deal because it's something that God himself has planned, and he's going to bring his plan to pass. Now, at the risk of being overly simple, I want to give a two-word summary of these five redemptive works, and admittedly, it is overly simple. But I think it's helpful sometimes just to say, now, what's that about? Pastor Jonathan preached on foreknowledge. Well, if you want a two-word summary, it's very simple. He demonstrated biblically that it means being forever loved. What is predestination? Well, the word destination gives us a fairly good hint, and the prefix pre helps us, and I would just simply call it eternally destined. And then last Lord's Day, Pastor Mark preached to us helpfully on calling, and he helped us to see that it is an irresistible drawing. It is to be irresistibly, irresistibly When God exerts his omnipotence, those who are called come. It is a divine summons accompanied by divine power. And the one called in that way has no less of an option to refuse than Lazarus had when Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth. And with that summons, There was the impartation of omnipotence and life-giving power from God. And Lazarus came forth. And so we would define calling just simply as irresistibly drawn. And this morning I'm going to try to open up that justification is being declared righteous. And then when we come to glorification, who's doing glorification? Are you doing glorification? Pastor Mark. When we come to glorification, and I hope... Mark will appreciate that I'm already anticipating what he's going to do. He's going to help us see that, that it means being totally saved. 
None of us are totally saved yet. We still have sin, and we live in a body that has fallen in, in, the pres- in the process of dying. But when Jesus comes back, those who have died in Christ in the grave and are laid in the grave will be raised, and they will be glorified, and those who remain will be glorified and will be totally saved. There is what these five things are. Now, two of these redemptive works of God took place in eternity, and I think that's been pointed out and observed, and they're... There are three others that take place in time. And if I could just show you one more slide. You notice that foreknowledge and predestination obviously happen in eternity. But calling and justification and glorification take place in time. And the last thing I want to show you is how we have smuggled in a a fifth gracious work, actually a sixth, and that's why this series is six. We're going to sneak in sanctification, even though that word is not used in our text. The concept has already been introduced, and it, it was my privilege to, to at least touch on it in my sermon, because it says, those whom he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. And that process begins at calling and it continues throughout the Christian life, and it will be completed in the glorification. So next, not next Lord's Day because it's Mother's Day, but the following one, Pastor Jonathan will spend time helping us think about sanctification. So that's kind of where, where we've been thus far and where we're headed. Now, I want to briefly look at justification, and I just want to answer three questions very simply. One, what is justification? Two, on what is it based Three, how is it obtained? So what is it? What is it based upon? How do you experience this? Well, justification put very simply, and these are my words, this is my feeble effort to simplify it. It is God's pardoning of all of our sins and clothing us in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That's one way that it can be put. And that is sound. It's not all that could be said, but it does summarize what justification is. God pardoning all of our sins and clothing us in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Two things. All of our sins are pardoned and forgiven, and we receive by faith as a gift from God the perfect righteousness of Christ in which we are clothed and which goes to our account and to our record. It is God accepting Christ's payment for our sins and transferring the righteousness of Christ to our account. That's another way of putting it. God accepting Christ's payment for our sins and transferring the righteousness of Christ to our account. And that's why I quoted from the hymn of Zinzendorf. Jesus, your blood and righteousness... My beauty is my glorious dress. Blood to atone. Pay for our sins. Our sins must be paid for. The wrath of God, which is rooted in his holiness and his justice, must be satisfied if he's going to forgive any sinner. And the only way he could satisfy that wrath was to see that those sins were paid for. And they were paid for by the Lord Jesus Christ in the shedding of his blood. So blood is critical to our theology. And it's critical to the doctrine of justification. But it's not just our sins being paid for. 
It's us receiving the perfect righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's why we sing in another hymn, more familiar perhaps to many of you, my hope is built on nothing less than what? Jesus' blood and righteousness. Those are the two things. So please understand, justification is not God infusing us with an inward power to live righteously. It's not God doing something inside of us. Not justification. He does do something inside of us. He does infuse us with the principle of righteousness. He does change us from the inside out. And our lives demonstrate it. Because if we are in Christ, we are a new creation. And all things are becoming new and old things are passing away. There's no doubt that there is an inward work of God in our saving experience. But justification is not an inward work. Justification is an outward, legal work of God and of God the Father in particular. Sanctification is the work of God the Holy Spirit especially. Justification is the work of God the Father. If you just notice um, in verse 33 of our text, Paul raises the question, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. This is a work of God the Father. It is outward. It is legal. He pardons our sins And he declares us, he pronounces us to be righteous in his sight because the righteousness of Christ has been transferred to our account. It has been, to use a theological term, imputed. So that's the $64,000 word for this particular sermon. You want to stretch a little bit in your theological knowledge so that when you read books, you're not saying, what in the world is that about? This is imputation. Imputation is the transferring of credit from one place or person to another. So the perfect righteousness of Christ has been imputed, transferred, reckoned to our account. And... Thereby, we become perfectly righteous in the sight of God. Now, here's how it's put in the shorter catechism. The question is asked, is question 33, what is justification? And the answer is this. See if this doesn't support what I've tried to set forth. Justification is an act of God's free grace wherein he pardoneth all our sins and accepteth us as righteous in his sight only for the righteousness of Christ imputed to us and received by faith alone. And that's the only element that I haven't actually commented on, that this is something we receive through the instrumentation of faith. And I'm going to come back to that when I answer my third question. How do you get it? How do you experience justification? So there's the answer to question one. What is justification? Now, question two, on what is it based? And here I want us to turn back just a few pages in this letter of the Apostle Paul to chapter 3. Would you go with me to chapter 3 and notice beginning with verse 19. Now, just before we read this text, I I think it would be good to remind you that there is a massive problem to be overcome on the part of God. And I hope that you've thought about this before, but if you haven't, then this is a good time to start thinking about it. Because the question becomes, how can God, who is infinitely holy, and righteous, and perfect, and just. How can that kind of a God 
pardon, wicked, vile, unrighteous sinners? How can he do that and still be God? That's a problem. The justification of God in the justification of men. That's a problem. John Piper wrote his PhD thesis on that called The Justification of God. You talk about swimming in the deep end of the pool, just read about three pages of it. It's overwhelming. But that's a problem. How can a holy God forgive wicked sinners and bring them into fellowship with himself and be reconciled to them without doing away with his holiness and his justice? And, of course, the answer is found in the gospel. And it's found in the wonderful teaching of justification. And Paul speaks to this just a little bit. Now, you know that earlier in this, in this book, particularly in chapter 1, he told us that, that the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. And the reason why God cannot but feel wrath and holy indignation toward unrighteous people is because he is perfectly righteous. So we're back to the problem. How does a perfectly righteous God forgive unrighteous people and still be God? You can't say, well, it's just because he's loving. Of course he's loving. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. But that's where we're getting close to the heart of the matter. Why did he give his son? What did his son have to do? Why couldn't God just forgive us? Why can't God just tell lies? If I ask you that, and you literally had to write the answer to that question, and you had to pass the test or die, what would you say? Why can't God just tell lies? Surely you would say, because He is truth. It's contrary to his nature. It's impossible for God to lie. The Bible says that. In fact, the Bible says there are three things God cannot do. But they're all rooted in one thing. He can't do anything contrary to his nature. And the nature of God is to be holy. He has to hate sin. The nature of God is to be just. He must punish sin. And so that's the problem. How does he solve it? He sends his son. He sends his son to take that punishment so that the crimes can be paid for, so that criminals who look to him can be acquitted, so that a perfect righteousness can be transferred to the record of those who were unrighteous. See if that isn't what this passage teaches Romans 3, starting with verse 19. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped. Has your mouth been stopped yet? If it hasn't, then you haven't yet seen how grievously you have broken God's holy law and how much trouble you're in for rebelling against this holy God. The law is designed in part to shut our mouths. And the whole world become may be be held accountable to God. For by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. Did you hear that? There goes legalism. Legalism properly defined is seeking to be right with God through obedience to his law. You cannot earn a right standing with God because you can't keep it perfectly. 
No one is justified by keeping the law. And this is especially the message of Galatians. If I had time, I would take you to two or three passages in Galatians where he makes it so clear that in the keeping of the law, there is no justification whatsoever. So Paul speaks to that. And then he goes on and says, but in fact, by the law comes the knowledge of sin. That's how you find out that you're in desperate need of salvation is when you stand yourself up against the law of God and realize how much you have violated it. Not hundreds, not thousands, not tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of times. Now here comes this beautiful little English word, B-U-T. But, but, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation or a satisfaction by his blood, to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. There's the dilemma. How can God be just and at the same time justify sinners? Well, he just told us by being sure that their sins were paid for, by being sure they could be covered with a perfect righteousness. So there is this righteousness of God. This is what Martin Luther came to understand, and it became a gateway to paradise for him when he finally saw it, that he couldn't earn his own right standing with God through his own righteousness and his own effort to not sin and his own efforts to be holy in life. He couldn't do it and he tried and he tried and he tried and one day by the grace of God through reading Romans and Galatians he saw the beauty of it that the righteousness that God demands he provides. The righteousness that God demands he provides. Did you hear me? He provides it. It is a gift from God. It is a gracious gift. It comes from the Lord Jesus Christ. Why did he come down here? He was born under the law to redeem those of us who are under the law. He had to keep the moral law of God perfectly in word, thought, and deed. He never sinned once. He never told a lie. He never had a lustful thought. He never felt pride. He never broke any of God's laws. He was perfectly righteous so that he could take his perfectly righteous life to the cross and offer it as a sacrifice to pay for our sins so that our sins could really be pardoned. And so that there would be a perfect righteousness to be put to our account. And Paul says, this righteousness has been made manifest now. And it belongs to those who believe in Jesus. It was purchased. Now you noticed that we're back to the basis. It was purchased by his blood. He was a propitiation. There's your second $64,000 word. Propitiation just means to satisfy the anger or the wrath of someone, to placate someone. God's holy wrath had to be satisfied, and if it weren't satisfied through Jesus Christ, it could only be satisfied by sending us all to hell. 
But it's got to be satisfied. He can't quit being righteous. But he so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son to do what? To live a perfect life, to weave a perfect robe of righteousness, to die a sacrificial substitutionary death, to take the wrath of God in the place of sinners. And the good news, the really, really, really good news is that it all becomes ours if we just look to him and call upon the name of the Lord and say, Jesus, your blood and righteousness, my beauty are, my glorious dress. Does that sound like a lot of work? No. It isn't a work. That's why we describe faith as the empty-handed embrace of Christ. Nothing in my hand I bring, says Top Lady. Simply to thy cross I cling. We come empty-handedly by faith, trusting in someone else to make us righteous and to pay for our sins. And then, as if that weren't amazing enough, we read on in our Bibles and we find out that that faith was a gift from God which came to us when he did what Pastor Mark preached about last Sunday, when he effectually called us by his Holy Spirit and gave us the two graces of faith and repentance. It's amazing. It's amazing beyond description. And how is it obtained? I've already answered the question. It's by faith. You see it in verse 22. You see it in verse 25. You see it in verse 26. I'm not going to ask you to turn here, but I just want you to listen to this. This is one of my favorite passages in all of the Bible. And if, if um, you were ever asked the trivia question, what text does Pastor Ted like to preach from most frequently at funerals? Not exclusively, most frequently. You would be right if you said Philippians 3, verse 9. He says, I want to be found in Christ. I want to be found in Christ. Let me just pause and tell you that as you sit here, not only are you either justified or not justified, you're either in Christ or you're not in Christ. To be in Christ is to come to him and say, I need you to be my savior. I'm trusting in you. And he will be to you like the ark was to Noah and his family. And you'll be in the ark protected from the wrath of God. Paul says, there's just one thing I want. I just want to be in Christ. Not having a righteousness of my own. Do you hear that? Not having a righteousness of my own. There goes legalism. Don't try to get right with God by being righteous on your own. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law that is trying to obey the Ten Commandments. You should try to obey the Ten Commandments because they're good. And you will show your love for God. But don't ever, ever, ever try to keep the Ten Commandments in order to earn your salvation. Because you can't. And Paul says, I just want to be found in Christ, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. But the righteousness that comes from God through faith in Christ. There it is. How do you get it? You look, you look to the Lamb. You look to the Lamb. You look to Jesus. You call upon his name. You trust in him. You do it right now, right where you are. 
this moment if you're not a believer. You just say, God, that's what I need. We're going to hear in a little while from Cyril, a young teenage guy who realized he was a sinner and needed a payment for his sins and needed a perfect righteousness. And he called upon the name of the Lord Jesus by faith. And he got the forgiveness and he got the righteousness. You can do that right this second. And I plead with you to do that. In fact, I want to conclude by um, just making two pleas. And one of them, in a sense, I've already made. I, I want to plead with you who are unconverted, you unconverted friends who are with us. We're so thankful you're here. We love you. We want you to come back. We're just a bunch of sinners. I hope uh, if you feel you're a sinner, you don't feel that you're unwelcome. You are most welcome because we're all sinners. We want you to come back. We want you to hear the gospel. We want you to join us in this great cause We want you to be a part of a family. We're glad you're here, but I have to say this to you. If you're unconverted, I want to plead with you to be justified right now. I thought you said, PT, that God is the one who justifies. He does. But but let me tell you this. He will justify you if you call upon the name of the Lord. And if you believe upon him, if you look to him, if you trust him, just look to him. Call upon his name right now. Be justified now in that chair, in this worship center, on this day. Why linger? Why postpone? Why put it off? Why live under the wrath of God? Why put your soul in jeopardy? Why? Why? Why would you not trust Christ now? And hear him by faith saying, That soul is now sinless in my sight. That believer is now in my son. I have just forgiven him or her of all of their sins, past, present, and future, and clothed them in the righteousness of my dear son. Last week when Mark was preaching on effectual calling, I think he made a a reference to Lazarus. Um, Lazarus is, is a great example, of course, of the power of God to bring the dead to life and to effectually call. If I went back there in time and stood outside the tomb, I could scream to the top of my lungs a thousand times, Lazarus, come forth! He would never come forth because I don't have any omnipotence. But when the voice of omnipotence speaks to the dead, they respond. And so Lazarus was effectually called. But I think of another beautiful illustration, and that's the illustration of the prodigal son who came home to his father. That's conversion. That's salvation. He realized that the life of sin was a lie. And when he was destitute, he came to his senses. That's conversion, coming to your senses. And he determined what he would say to his father, and he came back. That's conversion coming back to God. And he comes back humbly. In essence, he says, Father, I've sinned against heaven in in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. I'd be glad to be a slave. You're so gracious that being a slave is better than being a son to someone else. And the father runs to meet him, and you know what he does. He embraces him and he kisses him. And he says to those listening, This son of mine was lost and he's been found. He who was dead is now alive. Bring 
a ring and put it on his finger so that he knows he belongs to this family. Bring some sandals for him. And most importantly, bring not a robe, not a robe. Don't bring a robe. Bring the best robe. If I were the prodigal son, I'd say, Dad, don't put good clothes on me now. I got to go get cleaned up. I stink. I stink. And the father says, no, I'm covering it all. That's a picture of the righteousness of Christ. How do you get it? Look to the lamb. Call upon his name. Believe upon him. Trust in him. That's how you get it. And I plead with you who are unconverted, our dear friends, not just mine, our dear friends, get justified before you go out of this room today. Get justified before we watch Cyril be baptized. Get justified before I finish this sermon. Would you do that? You can. And then, just a word to you, my dear sheep. I want to encourage you to live in the light and joy and the comfort of this wonderful redemption of God. And so what this implies is, you know what I think? And I think you would agree with me, and I know my fellow pastors would agree with me. Most of us don't live in the light of this glorious doctrine of our justification. We're still troubled frequently, continually with guilt. And, I, I, and the, the drive to perform, I, I know I'm saved by grace, but. Don't, don't say but. Don't say but. But I've got to do this, and I've got to do that, and I've got to do the other. No, you should do those things out of love for God. You don't have to do any of them. In fact, if you do them, in order to be perceived by God, it'll be sin. Live in the light of this glorious truth that you have been justified. Did you hear what I said? You ha- if you're trusting in Christ. If you're trusting in Christ. You have been justified. You are justified. It's a done deal. You are righteous in God's sight. You have peace with God. You are secure in his love. He can't love you more. He will not love you more on the day of glorification than he loves you now. You won't say, now I really love you because now you're sinless. No. You cannot get God to love you more because his love for you is infinite. You cannot be more forgiven. You cannot be more safe. Top Lady again says in another hymn, the saints in heaven are more happy, but not more secure. What? No, they're not more secure because you're as saved as you can be if you're trusting in Christ. Live like you're an emancipated slave. Walk in joy. Don't confuse sanctification with justification. That's what we do. We believe we're justified by grace through faith alone, but somehow... We smuggle in our works. We smuggle in our performance. We smuggle in our guilty conscience. We've got to do more devotions. I've got to be a better father. I've got to be a better husband. Got to be a be- you, you ought to be, but not in order to be saved. No. Don't confuse sanctification with justification. We will come to sanctification in two weeks. But we're not there now. We're in Romans 8, and the last time I read Romans 8, it starts like this. There is now no more condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. No more condemnation. 
What about my sanctification? Shut up about your sanctification for a moment. We're not talking about sanctification. God isn't talking about sanctification. He's talking about justification. There is now no condemnation. I was reminded this week in preparation of a story told by Ian Paisley when we we were uh, at Bob Jones University. He went into a hospital to visit a, a poor man who was enslaved to the doctrine of Rome about salvation and trusting in everything but Christ alone. And he had no peace and he gave him the gospel. And this man by faith received the gospel. He was close to death. And you know what he did? He, he sat up in bed. He put a pillow behind his back and he said three times, no condemnation. And everybody's what? And he got louder, and people could hear him in the hallway. No condemnation! And he did it a third time at the top of his lungs, and his head slumped down on his chest, and he died. (laughs) You don't have to wait till you die to say no condemnation. Don't confuse sanctification with justification. You are justified, and you can sing. My sin. Oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin not in part, but the whole is nailed to the cross. And I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, O my soul, it is well with my soul, it is well, it is well with my soul. Do you live like it's well with your soul? Really? Non-Christians should be coming up to us at least once in a while and say, how do you live that way? You're always, it seems, they wouldn't use this language. I wish they would. seems like it's well with your soul. (laughs) Is it well with your soul? Yes, it's well with my soul. Because all of my sins have been paid for and I have a perfect righteousness. I have to quit. There's more I wanted to say, but we must not. We've got even better things coming in just a moment. So I do want to pray, though, and I'd ask that you join me in prayer before we proceed. Jesus, your blood and righteousness, our beauty are, our glorious dress. Midst flaming worlds and these arrayed with joy shall we lift up our heads. Bold shall we stand in your great day for who to our charge can anything lay fully absolved through these we are from sin and fear and guilt and shame. When from the dust of death we rise to claim our mansion in the skies, even then this shall be all our plea. Jesus has lived and died for me. Jesus.
be endless praise to you whose boundless mercy has for us, for us, a full atonement made, an everlasting ransom paid. Oh, let the dead now hear your voice. Now bid your banished ones rejoice. Their beauty this, their glorious dress. Jesus, your blood and righteousness. Amen.
singing again. I need a microphone. Cyril, would you come up, please? (laughs) Do you have your testimony? Okay. It's in your heart, isn't it? Oh, no, it's in I feel like um, this is a one-man show this morning, and I, I apologize for that. But it actually was my desire to have a different pastor baptize him. But guess what? It was his desire for me to baptize him. And I'm, I'm thankful for that. I love you, man. Yeah. We've had some good times together. And uh, I especially remember, you know, not so terribly long ago, you sharing with me how you believe God had saved you. And I asked you lots of questions, and... Your answers were wonderful. So I want you just to share with uh, the folks um, what it means for you to be a Christian. Okay? All right. Um, if I make some mistakes, please bear with me. Um, English is not my second, my, my first language, so. I'm Zyril Dave Chrysostomo, born in Philippines in a Catholic home. My mother and father were dentists. We had a good life. When I was five... My father left and my parents divorced. After the divorce, my mother gave up her dental clinic to become a mission dentist. I started attending Sunday school, summer Bible studies, and other church activities at the mission. I listened, but I did not understand. I did not want to go to church. For me, church was just a tradition that you had to do because your parents told you to. I could care less if I went to church. In 2010, my mother left for United States to meet my stepdad, Wiley. During this time, I stayed with my aunts, uncles, and cousins for a year. I had so much fun with them, I really loved them. My cousins made me so happy that I forgot my sadness without a mother. I struggled with my life because I had so many questions, but I didn't know their answers. Who is Jesus Christ, and why do I exist? Being so ignorant about God, I was full of fear, but mainly it was the fear of death. I was empty and confused. I had no peace in my heart, for I did not know the purpose of my life. It was in 2012 when my life changed. My mother came back to the Philippines to get me. I didn't want to leave my country, my friends, and my family. With sadness, I said goodbye to my motherland. As I set foot in Kentucky, I was depressed and lost. My stepdad Wiley told me that we had to go to Heritage Baptist Church. I listened to the sermons but was confused. I did not understand. It was different from Catholicism. I resisted the teachings as I was close-minded, ignorant, and blind. Every day in my life, I struggled with disobedience and ungodly thoughts. The words that came out of my mouth were filthy. I wish I had never said them. My heart was cold, and I I just felt like I needed a break from God. I was foolish because I didn't care about Him. I didn't care about the God that to this very day was the reason why I live and breathe. But God in His sovereignty, sovereignty brought me here to hear the gospel. He opened my heart through the teachings of the pastors. The more I listened, the more I realized how disgusting my sins were. 
by listening, I learned who Jesus Christ is. In Romans chapter 10, verse 17, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word of Christ. God loved me when I hated him. Why would he love someone so sinful like me? But by God's own desire, he saved me from hell and death. By dying on the cross, he paid for the sins that were supposed to take me to hell. He became the one and only perfect sacrifice that can save a person from God's wrath. Through his resurrection, death has no power against him, and he promised that all who believe in him will not die but have eternal life. Romans chapter 9 verse 15, For says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. In the future, I pray that through the Holy Spirit's guidance, I can make disciples and help people to know who Jesus Christ really is. I pray that God will give me the courage to speak up for him, especially in places like schools where people barely know anything about God. Months ago, my friend Sean died. His death affected me massively. He showed me how Jesus Christ can be so glorious in one's life. Everything that God worked in Sean's life glorified God because his Christ-like life showed me that his death <laughs> encouraged me to live a Jesus Christ-centered life I praise God for Sean's life <laughs> Amen. Amen Thank you Just to say real um, just maybe two questions So from this day forward by the grace of God you want to trust in and follow the Lord Jesus Christ, yes or no? Yes. Are you here publicly telling your friends and these believers that you're done with following the devil and living for this world? Yes. Then in just a few moments, I'm going to baptize you on the profession of your faith. And I want to thank you for your testimony. We thank God for his grace in your life. That was a beautiful testimony. And um, we look forward to the blessing you're going to be in this church as a young man. And who knows how you may make disciples in days to come. You may end up standing behind a pulpit someday. <laughs> may that be God's will. Let's, let's proceed with your baptism. <clears throat> Just uh, take off your shoes. down here and sit down right on that good wait a minute <laughs> he's baptizing himself i've been a pastor for 41 years and i've never seen anybody baptize himself <laughs> be okay though it'd be okay because he knows what this represents and for any of you who may not just let me remind you that our salvation is as i tried to preach briefly about today is all based upon the life the death the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And when we trust him as our savior, we go through a death, a death to our old self, and we experience a resurrection. Uh, God raises us to, to be different and new people. The old Cyril is dead. He's dead. He's not here. This is a new man. It's a new young man by the power of the Holy Spirit. 
do you have any trouble with water going in your nose? Okay, all right. In obedience to our Savior's command, it is now my privilege to baptize Cyril in the name of the Father who chose him from all eternity and the Son who came and lived and died in his place and the Holy Spirit who came into his life and gave him faith. Let's have a hug. Love you, man. <laughs> okay, now we'll come out.